The following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. This morning, if this is your first time here, we do something called expository preaching here, which means that my job every week is just to lift from the text what the meaning is and try the best of my ability to apply it to your life. And so part of that here, our conviction here, is that we preach through books of the Bible. We believe that entire letters of the Bible, um, we believe this is the best thing for the church. We believe this is the most faithful thing to the church. And so that's our normal rhythm here. So I'm glad you're here with us this morning, and I hope that you'll, um, hope that you'll hear from, from the Lord. Uh, the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. Paul's going to really reinforce a lot of the things we've talked about over the last few sermons, verses 27 through 30. Let's pray, and then I'll jump off into what the Lord has in store for us this morning. <clears throat> Precious Lord, give us eyes uh, to see and hearts to grow in the divine truths of your revelation. We stand in subjection to these truths. Um, we stand in subjection to them, not only in theory, but in practice as well, God. So give us hearts and minds that apply these to our lives uh, that we may hear for you. I pray for Greg. I pray for his work. I pray for his dear family as well, dear Lord. I pray for his ministry in Bahrain. I pray that you'll reach um, into his life there with your grace. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So the overarching context of the first chapter here, really the entire letter, it comes to us by way of conflict. That's the overall context of the first chapter here. Paul is in a really a precarious position. He's in a difficult position here. He's currently in a Roman prison. He wrote this letter from a prison. Uh, that's the overarching context for us. And like Jesus, Paul, like Jesus, Paul tends to cause problems where he went because he preached the gospel. He opened his mouth. And so places that he went, he sort of caused issues. He wouldn't keep his mouth shut. He was a, he was a preacher in a lot of ways. And so in our passage this morning, he's still dealing with conflict. He's still dealing with conflict both within himself, his own ministry. He's separated from this church and he's writing to this church. He planted this church. He started this church that this letter is written to here. And so he's writing back to them in this concluding section here to, to chapter 1. Um, is really everything I've been trying to argue for in the first four sermons here, first three or four sermons here. It's really a synopsis of everything we've been getting at. So Paul does a lot of repetition. If you read through his letters, you realize that he repeats things. He repeats these themes. And so uh, the, the conflict, specifically the conflict in this passage here, is related to what we term pagans, which were just common people, and they didn't do this whole church thing. The pagans that Paul were dealing with, they were just normal citizens of this community, of this city. They didn't do this whole church thing. They didn't do this whole Jesus thing. They, they just weren't into this stuff. And so that's really what he's dealing with in this context here. Later on, Paul in chapter 3, I'm going to deal with that when we get there. He deals with a specific false teacher, a Judaizer. I'm going to talk to you about what that is. We're going to discuss what that is when we get to that. But for, for purposes right now, he's really just dealing with pagan influence in this community, in this city, just common worldly cultural influence that we all deal with and so this is important remember the two overarching pieces of information you have to hold on to we read the bible in context we want to know what is paul talking about here and why is he talking about it and so the two overarching pieces of context for us is that paul was in prison we talked about that which is which you need to remember is not an ideal situation for him 
If he's in prison, we realize that's not an ideal situation for him. And then second is this, this Philippian culture that he's operating in, this city of Philippi here, is a church that's swimming in a culture of what I term individualism. That's important because we live in the same world now. It's a church that's swimming in a culture, for better or worse, is sort of a me, me, me culture. And so the pagan life, the morality in this city The world that's influencing them is this idea of individualism. It's this idea that the world revolves around me. And so everything is about me and my, my best life is what I do, whatever I need to do to make myself happy. Do those things sound familiar to you? This is the world you live in now. It's infiltrating your life on every possible front. So those are two important contexts for the first chapter here that we need to get our arms around. And so he's writing to these people here in verses 27 through 30 this morning that we're going to look at. I think they mark the, uh, this long string of thought from Paul that I've tried to been making, making an argument out of here. This whole first chapter here really, or at least verses 12 through 30, is this whole argument that I've been trying to make here. So here's the key statement for us this morning. I'm going to give it to you in three different ways because everybody in here thinks and sees things differently. So here's the key statement this morning. Based upon Paul's own circumstances as an example, Paul is an example here, and this this church's immersion in the me, me, me culture, the individualism culture, based upon those two things, Paul is arguing that the content, here it is again, the content and movement of the gospel, it gives you purpose in this life individually and as a church. That's the drumbeat. Let me say it another way. A life, here's another way to say it, a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ is a life devoted to the content and movement of the gospel. Let me say it another way. How about this? I think this is all that Paul is saying here. This is Brit's vernacular. Brit is saying that this is what Paul is saying here. You're to be a people like me, like Paul. You're to be a people like Paul that lives as marked out people you're to live as these earmarked people. You're to live as these alternative society. You're, you're to live as this citizen of another kingdom. And you're to live as these kind of people for purposes of gospel movement and the content and the movement of the gospel. That's all Paul is saying here. And so this, that's the central issue or the big thing I've been getting at. And, and what's so good about the gospel, this is not why we come to the gospel, what's so good about the gospel that I've been trying to show you in this text over the last three or four sermons is there's side effects to the gospel. There's these jewels that fall out of the gospel. Joy. Joy is a side effect of the gospel, a positive side effect. Godliness, holy courage. There are these jewels that fall out of the content and movement of the gospel that are applicable to the Christian life. So that's where we've been, and that's where we're going again this morning. So let's look at the text. Look at the text with me. Let's hear the words of the Apostle Paul here in verse 27. He says this. He says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. The manner of life be worthy. He's talking about citizenship there, to live as marked people, to be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come to you or whether I come and see you, excuse me, or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. This is an important verse for us. Standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. I'm gonna talk to you about what faith of the gospel is. Very important wording there. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. There's, there's holy courage. Remember we talked about holy courage. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. 
For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, very challenging verses here, for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, you should not only hold on to the content, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. And so I've said that from the content and the movement of the gospel, there's these side effects that fall out of it. And so how do I know that, Britt? How do I know that this is the key statement that Paul has been getting at here from the content and the movement of the gospel? How do I know that, Britt? It's right there in the text. It's been a drumbeat that's the content and the movement every week. It's It's because Paul does it again in verse 27 here for us. He does it again in verse 27 here for us, and we're gonna look at this very closely here. He says, a life worthy of the gospel, a life worthy of the gospel, is a life lived as marked people. You're marked people, you're earmarked. You live in a different kingdom. That's what it says right there. Wherein, you stand, wherein you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith. Circle that word faith right there. For the faith of the gospel. For the faith of the gospel. This phrase because of a bunch of technical stuff that you don't care anything about, this phrase, this is, this is so important that you grab this. This phrase here is, is not simply referring to getting the exact content of the gospel right. There's different senses of the use of, of, the, word, of the word faith in the Bible. It's not referring to making sure you get the little fine details of the gospel right. That's not what it's referring to. I'm okay with that. I wanna get it right. Faithful to the content. I wanna get it right. Let's get it right. I'm, uh, that's important to me. But this phrase, write this down, grab a hold of this, whatever you've gotta do. This phrase, it means loyalty to the cause of the gospel. It's not believing faith. It's a major distinction here. It's loyalty to the cause of the gospel, the mission, the mission of the gospel. The way Paul puts this phrase faith here, it means loyalty to the cause of the gospel or the mission. Very important and very careful wording for us this morning. Very important. Let me explain to you how I got there. Stay in context. Paul is writing to a church he established. He's writing to a church that supports his ministry financially as a church planner. He's writing to a church that's missional. They love moving the gospel around Europe. They love it. That's what the joy is in it. We talked about that weeks ago. This is a church that's moving the gospel because of suffering and oppression. We talked about that because of those things the gospel moves. It's so important that you understand here. The word faith as used in the Bible, faith is not one-dimensional. It's not one-dimensional. There's multiple senses in which faith is utilized in the Bible, and it's particularly utilized here in the wording of Paul. I, some of you are like, you're such a loser, man. Like, I read an entire book this week that just came out like three days ago to get my arms around this. Good stuff, really good stuff. I don't know what happened to me. <laughs> I have no idea what's happened to me that I'm reading whole books now to prepare for things. If you'd known me when I was 18, you'd be like, what has happened to this guy? But anyway, I want you to get it right. I'm trying to teach you something here. So it's the, the, when when we sling this word faith around in pulpits all over the church, you automatically, I know this because I sat where you sat for a lot of years, you automatically, you automatically interpret it as believing faith. 
When we say the word faith, you just automatically interpret it as believing faith because as evangelicals, we stress conversion. You're correct. Faith, without question, is believing. That's part of what it means in the Bible. It's unquestionably probably the biggest way it's utilized. That's the way Paul utilizes it most of the times. If you think about Romans and Galatians and all of these books here. And so justification is by believing faith. God gives you that believing faith. I preached a sermon on justification sometime back in Christmas. Go look at that. Tried to parse all of that out. But we get out of balance if we don't think carefully about that, about this. The faith that Paul is using here is not simply believing faith. Hang on with me. Paul is not, is not writing the, this is important. This is why you read the Bible in context. Paul is not writing the first part of this letter here to false teachers. He's not writing it to false teachers. He's not fighting for the clarity of the gospel. He's not fighting to say, you're wrong about the gospel. This is what the gospel is. He's not doing that. That's not what he's doing here. Paul, in his own personal situation, he's challenging this church to stay on mission. It's an obeying faith. You tracking with me on that? It's an obeying faith. How do I know that? It's to stay on point for the gospel. That's what he's saying, the faith of the gospel, to stay on point for it, the movement of the gospel. How do I know that? Because Paul uses strong military language all throughout this text this morning. There's strong military language in here. If you're reading this in the first century, the Roman context that he's in, you would automatically understand the military metaphors in this. You would hear it this way. You would hear it with military in mind. He says, standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side, is a, it's a convictional statement. So many of you involved in the military, many of you have been involved in the military, you understand this. Philippi is a pass-through entity for the Roman armies. Some of you couldn't care less about that, but what I'm saying is that there's this heavy military influence in there, and I think Paul, the way that I understand it is Paul is leaning heavily upon that context. He's leaning heavily upon it. So if you heard that, if you heard this when, you, when he wrote this, it would be as though he was saying, be a soldier that refuses to leave your post and complete your mission." Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You live this out. This is a convictional statement. So when we think about faith, we often think about saving faith or believing faith. And you don't realize there's more than one sense of faith in the Bible in your Christian journey. And sometimes, let's just get real, sometimes we use the word faith in the church and it's really a motto. Let me interpret how faith you apply faith in the church. It's a motto to say, all I gotta do is show up. Let's get real. All I gotta do is show up. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter if I'm doing a good job or living to my potential or honoring Christ with the product of my work. Let's get honest. So, so it's unbelievably disturbing to me how this word has been utilized just to hang out sometimes. I think it's an insult to the millions of Christians that have given their life and they understand what Paul's doing here and they've given their life to the movement of the gospel. It's not just believing faith, it's obeying faith. And so Paul is concerned about a particular type of faith here, a faith that's not passive, but a faith that's part of a challenge to live it out for the cause of the gospel. The word faith here, it means loyalty to the cause of the gospel, to the mission. And what Paul is saying here is he's saying you need to be loyal to the mission, the movement of the gospel. This is not believing faith. This is faithfulness, but it's faithfulness to a cause. 
You understand that? The movement is not just faithfulness, it's a faithfulness to a movement, not just faithfulness to the content. We wanna get the gospel right, we wanna get it right, but it's faithfulness to the cause of the movement, the cause of the gospel, where the gospel's going. I wanna get the gospel right, I wanna get the gospel right, but I'm equally as concerned about the movement of the gospel. So much in the Christian faith you have to hold right here. I tell you this all the time. If you stretch doctrines too far, you'll get out of balance. Content and movement of the gospel. Faithfulness to the gospel is not passive. Believing in saving faith is passive. Saving faithfulness is passive. Salvation is a receiving faith. Faithfulness to the gospel movement is an active faith. And so we believe that God, we believe in saving faith. We believe that God unilaterally, that's a fancy word, that means he one-sidedly reaches into this world and he regenerates you. Salvation is a miracle and he gives you faith and you come to faith, all of that sort of stuff. I'm just trying to get you to see this. I don't wanna overstate it. I just wanna be clear on that. Obedience that comes from loyalty. Obedience comes from faithfulness. That's the sense of this word here is something that one does. The scripture is asking you to mobilize for a cause I can't overstate it it's not enough just to show up and believe this stuff I love you but it's just not enough you've got to mobilize for the call for the for the for the cause of it that's what part of being a disciple is we take that seriously here it's a huge part of what being a disciple is the content and the movement I called a friend of mine this past week um we had, a, we had a long conversation about things, some challenges he's facing, and um, in the midst of this conversation, I, I, I hear, I, I take in information and know a little bit about the story, and I gave him some advice. I said, why don't you do this? I said, why don't you do this? And he was not too hot on it when I made the recommendation. And so he was gracious about it. He just said, I, you know, I don't know. And so we had an, uh, the conversation extended on. We got later on the conversation uh, and we talked about some other things. And by the end of the phone call, he says the most precious words that a pastor can ever hear. He said, um, I'll do it if it's what the Lord wants. If it's what the Lord wills, I'll do it. And so it's obedience to the cause. Look at me, the greatest Christians to ever live. <laughs> This is a statement, quote this somewhere. The greatest Christians to ever live, they weren't the boldest, they were the most obedient. Everybody's trying to be a hero in the world we live in today. Don't be bold, be obedient. That's the sense in which Paul is talking about, the world, about this word here. That's the sense in which he's using it right here. You remember Bill Wallace we talked about here? He's just a surgeon. He was a normal dude in Tennessee. He was a surgeon. He commits himself to China. He releases his life to God. He goes to China and spends his whole life over there. He didn't do it to be a hero. He did it to be obedient. Loyalty to the cause of the gospel. If you have questions about this, come see me. It's faith in action. So let me ask you this. What are you sensing in your life for purposes of faithfulness? What are you sensing that God is calling you to for the cause of the gospel? What are you sensing him doing in your life? And why won't you let it go? Why won't you let it go and give your life over to him and his purposes? What is God doing in your life? 
What is he doing in your life? What is he prodding you to be involved in? What is he prodding you to do? And are you listening to him? And are you being a part of the movement? Are you being a part of a loyalty to the movement? Faith can shift. It can blend into different senses here in this passage. And Paul is not referring to believing faith. He's referring to obeying faith. A faith in action. And then look at what he does in verses 28 through 30 here. He says, this is a clear sign He says, don't be frightened. We talked about that the other week. But then he says, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, there it is, but also suffer for his sake. We're gonna contextualize that, but that's mobilization, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I have, saw that I had and now hear that I still have. Paul tells, tells us what, he looks like, what it looks like here to have a kind of loyalty to the gospel cause, the faithfulness to the movement of the gospel. What does it look like when you commit or become faithful to the movement or the cause of the gospel? He says this, look at verse 28, he uses the word this, this is a clear sign, which is an indication that he's referring to something before this word. He's referring to standing, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. He's saying standing side by side side, striving for the faith of the gospel, loyalty to the movement of the gospel, loyalty to all of that is it, it will, it will put you right in the flow of faithfulness, obeying faithfulness. And the way that Paul is saying this in, in the phrase I just unfolded there, he's reinforcing it by repetition. He's saying the same thing over and over. He's saying if you have believing faith, not only do you, not only do you believe in him, but you also suffer and engage in conflict for him. So wait just a moment, Britt. This is, this, this is challenging. There's a lot of joy in Philippians, but there's a lot of challenge in this book. You mean to tell me that Paul is arguing for believing faith content and obeying faith movement? <laughs> yes. Yes, it's right there. I'm not making this stuff up. It's right there. The Bible's smart. I'm not. That's why we just preach through the Bible. I'm just lifting the stuff out the Bible and showing it to you. God tells me what to, what to preach. The Christian life is more than just about the content of the gospel. It's more than just about the content of the gospel. It's about the movement of the gospel. And he's saying in this phrase what he's told us in the word faith earlier. He's saying in a phrase in verse 28 and 29, he's saying in a phrase what he told us earlier in a word which is that you do not only believe in him, but you mobilize, you suffer and engage in conflict for him. You've got to do something with your faith. You've got to do something with your believing faith. It's loyalty to the cause of the gospel. And in the middle of all of this, this is what is so hard for us. In the middle of all of this, he gives us a challenge. Paul always does this. He doesn't give you an idea. He doesn't, he doesn't hang out in the net of the abstract. He's saying you gotta you got live for the content and the movement of the gospel. But what does that look like? He challenges us in here. He says this. He gives us a challenge. What is the challenge, Britt? The challenge is this. Suffering for his sake and engaged in the same conflict. That's what the text says. That's what the text says. If you have believing and obeying faith... Are you telling me, Britt, that if I have believing and obeying faith, that I will face challenges as a direct result of the gospel and my loyalty to it? Yes. If you're living this stuff out the way that Paul wants you to live it out here, you are going to face challenges for this. That's the challenge for us this morning. We talked about this a few sermons back, but 
but it's, it's, it's just hard. It's hard for us to understand this. If you're not living, and what I made for this is that we're not, in, we're not in Sudan or all over the world. Some of you will never go to these very challenging places that we make out on this. But my argument in all of this is that for our context this morning, if you're not living in some kind of tension in your life because of this truth, I've said this before, if you're not living uncomfortable because of the truth of the gospel, then in my opinion, you don't have obeying faith. Christianity is not comfortable. I live uncomfortable all the time. If you're not living in tension or you at least are not living uncomfortable because of the content and the movement of the gospel, I believe that what Paul is telling you this morning is that you're not having faith. It's not enough to show up. I love you, but that's the truth. And then Paul doubles down on it. He even doubles down on it. He says, for it has been granted to you. Look at this phrase here. He says, for it has been granted to you. The challenging lifestyle, this is so radical to us. The challenging lifestyle has been given to you. He's basically saying, you've been graciously granted this gift by, of suffering for Christ. You've, it's a grace to you. And we hear that in America and we go, what in the world am I supposed to do with that? What am I supposed to do with that, Britt? This is such a radical, this is crazy to the world. It's such a change in mindset from the world that we swim in. And Paul doubles down on the argument. Remember, we live in individualism. We live in the me culture. Me, me, me. What do I have to do? What do I have to do to be happy? It's such a radical thing for us. And Paul doubles down on it because he calls it a grace. Not only does he challenge you with this, but he says it's a grace to you. And you read that, I read that this week, and I go, what are we supposed to do with that? And if you were hearing this from a Greek ear, if you were part of the people hearing this, you would have thought it was unbelievable to suffer for a, G, a small G God. It had been unbelievable to you. You would have heard this, and you would have thought, this guy is a lunatic. Why would I ever suffer for a small G God? And so the Bible is transcendent. It never dates. <laughs> They thought it was radical because they lived in an individualism culture. And to give up your life for someone else is a radical thing, but the Bible's transcendent. I thought about this. I said, Father Time is, an, is, is undefeated against man, but he's over against the Bible. The Bible's transcendent. The truth is transcendent. This is the culture that Paul is fighting against. And these people considered it unthinkable to give up this suffer and possibly die for something. We're swimming in a world of individualism. And you hear this type of sermon and it's challenging because you wrestle with questions, right? You wrestle with questions. As you hear this, the Bible says you'll suffer for his sake. You should consider it a grace. This is what it means to be faithful. And we talked about it last week, this mutual exchange that goes on with Jesus Christ. You receive grace from Jesus and you turn right back around and give your life to him for him and his purposes. You hear this and these questions start coming to you. Scripture confronts you with truth that faithfulness to the gospel may cost you something and questions like this come up. You say things like this, I'm a normal human. I read this stuff too and you say, what I do with all this stuff what 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 do I do with this what's what's in it for me that's how you read the bible right what's in it for me Brit what's in it for me why are we doing all of this stuff why would I even do all of this stuff and we've been trained in some way to think in a world of individualism by this consumer economy that we live in and they're not bad questions those are not bad questions they're only bad questions if they stop there 
Bad questions are only bad questions if they don't lead to better questions. They're only bad questions if they don't lead to better questions. And what is the better question here, Britt? What is the better question here? The better question is, what can I give up for his sake? Not what's in it for me. What can I give up for his sake? That's the ultimate question of a true disciple. Here at Grace, we're serious about this disciple-making stuff. We exist to make mature and multiply disciples. And so the better question to ask in your daily life, the question that you should be asking right now, don't think about your Uncle Jim or your son that should be in here or your granddaughter that's wandering for the faith. You need to think about yourself and you need to say, what do I need to get over for his sake? What do I need to get over for his sake? That's the question of a true disciple. It's a privilege to be marked by grace and stand as a disciple and fight against the me, me, me culture. It's a privilege. It's a grace to you. It's faithfulness to what God's called you to. What is he calling you to that you should let go of for his sake? And so there's jewels In every one of these passages, there are jewels that fall out of it for the Christian life. There's these side effects for you if you track with this stuff. The two jewels this morning, we talked about joy, we talked about godliness, we talked about holy courage, we talked about all of these things in the last two weeks. But there's two jewels that fall out of this text for us this morning. And the first one is community. Community is a jewel that falls out of here. Your ability and willingness to sacrifice for the faith, it shows that you're actually one of God's holy ones. That's what some of this text is getting at here. It puts you in a victory formation. We win, you're not alone, and you're part of this bigger community of little ones. You remember last week we talked about the missions discourse, the little ones, that we're all the little ones, we're disciples of Jesus. That's the language that Matthew uses in there. And you're part of this bigger thing called a community. And if you're, if, if you're unwilling to rent relentlessly pursue discipleship you've got to ask the hard questions of yourself are you even a disciple are you even part of the community so the first jewel that falls for us this morning from the content and the movement of the gospel is community Paul is talking to a group a team of people that strive it's all in this language here that strive side by side with one mind with one spirit for the movement of the gospel this is why city groups is so biblical we have this thing here called city groups. <laughs> city groups are striving. I'm pulling this right out of the text, man. City groups are striving with one spirit, with one mind, side by side for the movement of the gospel. You can't do it alone. You can't do any of this stuff alone. The steadfastness in this passage, the tenacity in this passage, it comes from community. It's not done in an individualistic context. I'm not making this city group stuff up. <laughs> I'm not doing this stuff because I think it's cool or it's trendy. It's biblical. It's right there in the Bible. It's right there in the Bible. That's what these things are for. That's why we're doing it. The Bible is so clear. From community, mission flows. God, it's a beautiful thing. It's such a beautiful thing. Be a part of it. The second jewel that falls out of this for us this morning is victory. It says in here, it's a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation that is from God. Victory is another jewel that drops right out of this text this morning that I can see here. It falls right out of the content and the movement of the gospel. It's from believing and obeying faith. And as a Christian, we're assured of victory. How are we assured of victory? Because God's the source. God's the source. 
If you live for something beyond yourself, if you pursue loyalty to the cause of the movement, you'll experience joy, you'll experience godliness, you'll experience holy courage, you'll be part of an incredible community where you belong. Are you looking for a community? You'll be part of an incredible community where you'll belong and you'll ultimately obtain victory because it's all done through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, the great assurance of our faith. The victory's won. He's calling you to a mission. So let me wrap this up here. This is a great story that I read. Everything's done through Jesus Christ. That's so important. Um, I read this national newspaper often. Uh, I'm a business guy. I come from the business world, so I read this paper called the Wall Street Journal. It's kind of a habit. And so um, uh, they have these obituaries in there on the weekend that I'll read of people all over the world. And I love people, so I do what I do. And so I read these things. And I came across one years ago that I remembered when I wrote this. But it was a gentleman that was, uh, he was from the World War II generation. World War II generation is a marvelous generation of people. Uh, I love the tendencies of that generation. So anytime I see something from that generation, I'm all ears. Uh, Read it, soak it up. But anyway, so when, when something comes across my death pertain, desk pertaining to that section of people, I'm in. So anyway, this gentleman, he was born, and this is a fascinating story to me. He was born in rural Kansas to a surveyor. His a surveyor, his mom was a local Methodist church piano player, um, which is just endearing to me because that's kind of how I was raised. But uh, he went to war, and he came home from war. He went to Harvard. He graduated from Harvard, and when he was about 43 years old, he had made a fortune. He made a fortune buying and selling businesses and... Um, I love this stuff. I'm, again, I'm a businessman at heart, so it's, I love this. I love the American spirit in this. I still endear that kind of stuff. And so he, he did what a lot of people did. By 43, he'd made a fortune. He waited. This is common if you know anything about this world, but he waited into the political scene, philanthropy, all these sorts of things. So he runs for office, and he fails. And a man like this is not used to failing, <laughs> is not used to failing. And so he fails on it, and he basically looks up and says, what am I supposed to do with the rest of my life? Um, what am I supposed to do with the rest of my life? And so he regroups and he gives the remainder of his life to convicts, the federal convicts, which is near to my heart. My father was a pastor, but my father also taught carpentry in a, in a federal prison for over two, over two decades. He taught carpentry to, to inmates. And so I saw it and it, was, it, was, it just caught my eye on that. So he sets up these factories and he partners with these local federal prisons to employ these inmates. <laughs> and this is the quote in there. This is, I worked in tax for a long time. I still do. I still consult for uh, taxes for a corporation. So he says this. He said, y'all are gonna like this. He said, the quote in there, he said, if you can turn a convict into a taxpayer, that's enough punishment. <laughs> and I read that and I thought, yeah, this is true. <laughs> so I like a good tax joke. But anyway, so that's a tax joke. So um, he lived what appeared to be, in my opinion, a prototypical World War II generation life. If you know anything about World War II generation life, they gave it away. And that, that's why sometimes I wish we could reincarnate these people. I do. Um, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. Let me get to my point. So he couldn't care. These, these people, they couldn't, this generation, they couldn't care less about themselves. They couldn't care less about themselves. Uh, they, they had no idea what individualism was. <laughs> they just didn't. They gave it away. And so he spends his whole life dumping into convicts at 43. He died at an old age here. And this is what he says at the end of his life. This is what he says. This is what makes this generation beautiful. Harvard grad, multimillionaire, 
I mean, World War II, no telling what he did over there. This is what he says in his life. He says, when I die, I want them to carve, this is what I want them to carve into my epitaph. All I want them to carve in my epitaph, it says, I shot all my bullets. And I read that and I thought, that's perfect. He's an Ivy League grad, and all he wants on his epitaph, all he wants on his gravestone is I shot all my bullets. And so I just want you to hear me from my conviction. I'm going to shoot all my bullets before I get out of here. That's how I'm living. I'm not going to do it for myself. I'm not going to do it for my own purposes. I'm not going to do it for my own agenda. I'm going to do it for something else. I'm going to do it for the cause of the gospel, for the sake of Christ, for a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is steadfast Christian living. This is a life worthy of the gospel. The content and the movement of the gospel, it will give you purpose on how to live. God grant us, God grant us special grace to see these truths, to ask the right questions, and to mobilize for things beyond ourselves. Amen and amen. Let us pray. Eternal Father, I'm, I stand in 